Uh, so, my name's Stuart. Um, for those who don't know me, I'm one of the key leaders here at EBI. And today we're going to be, uh, we're coming towards the end of our series um, on looking at the journey, um, which Steve will conclude um, next week. But today we're going to be looking at refreshment. Now, I'll be honest, when Steve sent me the title um, kind of months and months ago, I thought it said refreshers. And I got quite excited because anybody knows me, knows I really like those little refreshers fresher packets. Um, I know dentists are rolling their eyes because of the sugar content and I do like eating the whole pack in one fell swoop. Um, try it. Just a little encouragement there. But actually it wasn't anything to do with that so it was about refreshment. And the other thing that came to mind was how does refreshment look in our messy, stressed out, screwed up, battered, bruised, cynical world? Surely this has to be miraculous. Right from the start, surely this has to be miraculous. And so we um, are going to be spending some time looking at two passages in Isaiah this morning. Uh, We're going to look at chapter 35 and part of chapter 55. Now Isaiah is a book in the Bible that just has lots of wild imagery. And some of it makes sense and inspires, and some of it leaves me a little bit confused, I'll be honest. Um, Because some of it is about the prophet is pointing us to the depths of God's heart for us. And Eugene uh, Peterson, who writes, um, has translated the Bible in the message translation, and he writes this as an introduction to Isaiah, which kind of helps... Um, for me, build a picture of what Isaiah is about. He says this, For Isaiah, words are watercolours and melodies and chisels to make truth and beauty and goodness. Or, as the case may be, hammers and swords and scalpels to unmake sin and guilt and rebellion. Isaiah does not merely convey information. He creates visions, delivers revelation, arouses belief. He is a poet in the most fundamental sense, a maker making God present and that present urgent. Isaiah is the supreme poet prophet to come out of the Hebrew people. That gives you an idea of what this Isaiah, how Isaiah writes. And in chapter 34, just before the bit that we will read this morning, Isaiah paints a picture of a scorched desert. But as we move on, we see he anticipates how that desert will be transformed. For God's people, as they were taken into exile in Babylon, they could look forward with anticipation and expectation to being rescued by God and brought back into freedom. So we're going to read um, from Isaiah chapter 35. And I want us to be thinking about three things. Firstly, that there is a waiting space that there is an invitational space and there is a receiving space. So those three things, a waiting space, an invitational space and a receiving space. Let's read Isaiah 35. The desert and the parched land will be glad. The wilderness will rejoice and blossom like the crocus. It will burst into bloom. It will rejoice greatly and shout for joy. The glory of Lebanon will be given to it, the splendor of Carmel and Sharon. 
They will see the glory of the Lord, the splendor of our God. Strengthen the feeble hands, steady the knees that give way. Say to those with fearful hearts, be strong, do not fear, your, Lord, your God will come. He will come with vengeance, with the divine retribution. He will come to save you. Then will the eyes of the blind be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then will the lame leap like a deer and the mute tongue shout, of do- shout for joy. Water will gush forth from the wilderness and streams in the desert. The burning sand will become a pool, the thirsty ground, bubbling springs. In the haunts where jackals once lay, grass and reeds and papyrus will grow. And a highway will be there. It will be called the way of holiness. It will be for those who walk on that way. The unclean will not journey on it. Wicked fools will not go on it. No lion will be there, no ravenous beast. They will not be found there, but only the redeemed will walk there, and those the Lord has rescued will return. They will enter Zion with singing. Everlasting joy with crown, will crown their heads. Gladness and joy will overtake them, and sorrow and sighing will flee away. So we see from chapter 34 into chapter 35, we see that the desert will be transformed into a lush garden, bubbling with streams and blossoming of crocuses and, gree- and grass and reeds and flowing rivers. It's a far bigger picture and imagery of the Israelite people returning out of exile and fulfillment of a promise, a prophecy God's people would return to a homeland. It, the bigger picture is about heaven, a new heaven, a new earth that will come. And Isaiah writes this, but only the redeemed will walk there, and those the Lord will rescue will return. They will enter Zion with singing, everlasting joy will crown their heads. Gladness and joy will overtake them. Sorrow and sighing will flee away. Those words are pointing towards heaven. They're pointing to God's kingdom breaking in for those of us who follow Jesus. It all sounds perfect. God's heaven picture, which we can read again right in, the Revel- in Revelation at the end of the Bible. The imagery is even weirder there. In Revelation 24, it resonates with similar phrases. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There'll be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. Those words from Revelation 21 verse 4 kind of echo the words of Isaiah where it says gladness and joy will overtake them and sorrow and sighing will flee away. There is an echo through eternity. And that gives us a place of hope in the struggles, in the mess. We're living in a space right now that feels like a waiting space. We also seem to want to rush to the end chapter or the end of the book. Not keen to live in a waiting space. When I did um, my GCSEs a few years ago, Rude. (laughs) It's not a subject that I liked at all, was English. It was never my strength, because reading has never been something I enjoy or found it easy to actually do. I remember being told when I was doing my GCSEs to read Romeo and Juliet. (laughs) 
And the response to the questions would be in the exam would be from that book. So I read the back cover <laughs> and the first chapter and watched the film. I passed. <laughs> but there was something about that that I didn't want to live in the waiting space, in the middle bit, all the content. I just wanted to get to the end. I wanted to get to the end result, just kind of skip over waiting. And sometimes in our lives, that is how we live life. We get frustrated. We, in the waiting space, how do you cope? Do you get frustrated, angry? Do you feel rejected, forgotten? Maybe you turn the positives of waiting into a negative narrative. I reckon I've felt most of that stuff. I reckon I live a lot of that kind of narrative. And I'm not talking about when I go to a restaurant and I'm waiting for the food to come out and trying to listen to whoever is in front of me when my eyes are just watching food, going out to everybody else except for me. Not that kind of waiting but in our lives where we're actually kind of waiting, God, what's next? It feels like decades sometimes. And in these verses, in, um, in Isaiah, we're encouraged in this waiting space. So in verses 3 and 4, it says, Strengthen the feeble hands, steady the knees that give way. Say to those with fearful hearts, Be strong, do not fear. Your Lord will come. It goes on with quite a bit of intensity around that. But in the struggles, God is saying, be strong. A repeated phrase right through the Old Testament in the Bible. It, again and again, it says, be strong and courageous. The hope is this, help is coming. God is coming to save you. So if you're in a time of waiting for God to help, take heart have hope. Don't try and rush to the end of the chapter. Don't try and rush to the end of the story. He will come to save you. In this promise, he's saying, be strong. There is strength in the waiting. We even sung that phrase. There is something God wants to do in this waiting. In our culture nowadays, it isn't cool to wait at all. We get frustrated when a tapping a card on a thing and it doesn't work and we want to rush away. But also in that place of the waiting, in verses 8 and 9 it says, and a highway will be there. It will be called the way of holiness. It will be for those who walk on that way. The unclean will not journey on it. Wicked fools will not go on about it. The no lion will be there, no ravenous beasts. They will not be found there, but only the redeemed will walk there. In the place of waiting, in the struggles, God says also, be holy. Again, repeated right throughout the whole Bible, but particularly the underlying theme here in Isaiah is be holy. Again, it feels intense. It feels intense in the waiting. God's saying be holy. Nowadays, we, we take for granted, not in Bristol maybe, that our roads are pretty good. But in the ancient world, that was a little dig there. Uh, in the ancient world, a good road, a highway, was a, an amazing place for travel, progress, and business. Isaiah is pointing here to Jesus, who's saying, he's saying we'll, Jesus will provide a way of safety. Without the struggles of sin and the stuff that we mess up and when we turn away from God, 
He's saying in the waiting, be holy. Be strong and be holy. But maybe you're thinking, well, that's rattled me already. And you don't, and you don't get what I'm going through, Stuart. You don't get what I've been through. God does. And God is very, very present. And you won't always feel it, as Emma kind of shared last week. But God is in bed in our wrestling, in our pain. The waiting space is a place of big highs and really deep lows. But God is encouraging us to keep on. It's not a solo exercise. But with others around, cheering us on, holding us up, sitting and weeping with us, trying not to fix, just being. And in that waiting space, it's not arrogantly saying, be strong, or judgingly saying, being holy. It's saying, God, I need you. Transform me to be strong, to be holy, to cling on, to look to you and your goodness and your holiness. I can't do this alone. So take me where I am and redirect me. Continue to fill me with your holy, transforming spirit. In the waiting, there is refreshment. Refreshment in our journey is very much in that space. Someone once wrote about a few Bible characters just to kind of put it in our brains. Joseph waited apparently for 13 years. Abraham waited for 25 years. Moses waited for 40 years. Jesus waited for 30 years. In our waiting space, you're in good company. It's people that have struggled, people who have wrestled. Tell those stories to yourselves in our church where you're struggling in a waiting space tell that let people sit and weep with you but this leads me on to the next passage in Isaiah which helps us understand what God is saying to us in that waiting space and in Isaiah 55 verses 1 to 3 we read this come all who are thirsty Come to the waters, and you who have no money, come and buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Why spend money on what is not bread and your labor on what does not satisfy? Listen, listen to me and eat what is good, and you will delight in the riches of fare. Give ear and come to me. Listen that you may live. I will make an everlasting covenant with you. My faithful love promised to David. In this waiting space, we're invited to come to God. It's an invitational space. The Bible, in fact, is a whole long invitation to come to God. It starts with God's call to Adam in the Garden of Eden, of Eden full of love and anguish, saying, where are you? God is saying, come, where are you? It ends at the end of Revelation, at the end of the Bible, where it says the spirit and the bride, that is the church, say, come. The invitation is right throughout the whole Bible. 
God has created an invitational space for us to meet with him. So in Isaiah, in this chapter, God once again issues an invitation to come. The invitation is urgent and it's universal. Come to me. This passage prophetically points us to Jesus. Without Jesus, we are thirsty. The opening verses here in Isaiah 55 echo the cries of those selling goods in Babylon. The centre of commerce in those, in those days. And the message was this, was material things don't satisfy. Maybe that is something we need to hear again now in our world today. Without God, we are always going to be partly empty. Not fully, but partly empty. The dots don't all join up. We labour, in verse 2, we labour for what does not satisfy. Yet the offer of Jesus is free. It is to you who have no money. The promise that as you come to Jesus, your soul will delight in the richest affair. Those who come to Jesus are fully satisfied. God doesn't offer you junk food, but a feast. Yeah, I like that phrase. God doesn't offer you junk food, but a feast. The message translation of of this passage in verse 2 says, Pay attention, come close now, listen carefully to my life-giving, life-nourishing words. Jesus himself says, Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. The invitation from Jesus is come to me. He says, come to the wedding banquet in Matthew 22 and 4. And the one that kind of resounds from this passage in John 7, verse 37. Jesus stood in a loud voice and said, let anyone who is thirsty come to me. And drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. By this he meant the Spirit, whom those who had believed in him were later to receive. Up to that time, the Spirit had not been given just since Jesus had not been glorified. Jesus' invitational space was for refreshment of the Holy Spirit. He revealed that, Jesus, that Isaiah was pointing to him, that the refreshing living waters that Isaiah talked about would flow as we receive God's spirit. God's spirit quenches us. It quenches deep spiritual thirst. It cleanses. He re- revitalizes, refuels, changes our direction, re-empowers us, unlocks new pathways in our world. It is a personal thing, but it is also a together thing. And I feel that as I was preparing for today, that God might be saying something about a together thing for Ebby as we welcome the Holy Spirit, not just personally, but together. Two weeks ago, I had um, the opportunity to do some assemblies, um, sharing the Christmas story. Uh, with all, literally every single child in Filton Avenue School down the road. 
Um, and it, we ended up doing um, five assemblies in one day. Um, two of them happened here in this building, and the children walked up the road in their yellow tabards and came in here. It was very cute. Um, it was an amazing privilege. It was great fun. There were a lot of random moments. We had a very fierce King Herod. We had an angel that didn't stop dancing. And we had a starstruck star, which was weird. But actually, we had, um, there has been created an invitational space for those children, for the staff, for the parent helpers, to explore Jesus' birth story in a way that connected with them. And what that can mean for the whole of their lives. It's really exciting being invited to another school in a couple of weeks' time as well. The invitational space is where we are refreshed. It's not just for those who know Jesus and follow him, but actually it's a space for God's story and God's Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit, to transform and re- redirect those who don't know him. That's why we encourage people to invite people to Christmas services. They can be places of refreshment even for those who don't know Jesus. And maybe you come here on Sundays and you're not really sure, but you're kind of like being around people. But God might be nudging you and saying, actually, I want to go deeper with you. I don't know you. And you don't know me, but I want to go deeper with you. I'd encourage you to be open to God refreshing you in this place of invitation. In the Lectio 365 Bible app, it's written this recently. In all life's battles, rest can be our most effective weapon. Exhaustion, our gravest enemy. The renewal of all things and the healing of the land begins with me. And so I sit here quietly, breathing slowly in the stillness of this moment, responding again to your beautiful invitation. Come, all who are thirsty, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come and buy and eat. In the place of waiting, where there is God's invitation, our posture needs to be of receiving. That looks different to everyone. A bit like we all have different learning styles. Some struggle listening to someone like me talk for 20 minutes. Some people kind of learn by storytelling or visual stuff. In receiving, we all receive God in different ways. The way we receive the Holy Spirit for refreshment can be different for each one of us. But the Holy Spirit still comes to quench our thirst, to cleanse, to revitalize, to re-empower, to change our direction and unlock new pathways in this world. God knows where we're at and he's kind and gentle. And he wants to meet with each one of us here. And as I finish, I want to bring us back round to where we started. And in our struggles and in this world that is, as we shared earlier, is, it looks messy. God is wanting to bring us back to those images of Isaiah 55. 
where the desert and the parched land will be glad. The wilderness will rejoice and blossom. Like the crocus, it will burst with, into bloom. It will rejoice greatly and shout for joy. And they will see the glory of the Lord, the splendor of our God. Gladness and joy will overtake them and sorrow and sighing will flee away. God wants us to receive all that he has for us. So we're going to welcome the Holy Spirit into our lives again. Maybe it's the first time you've said this. And be open to what God wants to do. To do. He's gentle. He's kind. He's just saying, come, all who are thirsty. Come, all who are thirsty.